coming up next on the Wetfly Swing Podcast? For me, it's my employees. I mean, they're into it. They love fishing. Love it. And like these guys are going out after work, before work, skipping work. <laughs> um, and they talk about it. They're, you know, they learn from one another. Um, and they, they're going on little trips. It's great. I mean, it's just awesome to just see how passionate they are about it. That was Greg Epstein with the why behind his running of the fly shop, J.H. Fly Co., today on the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. Welcome to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show, where you discover tips, tricks, and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today. How's it going today? Thanks for stopping by the show. We've still got the Top Fly Challenge going on right now. You can head over to wetflyswing.com slash topfly and choose your top fly from uh, from the guests we've had on the show. And you can choose your own personal one. You'll get a chance to win a box of flies. Greg Epstein walks us through his fly fishing story and how Jackson Hole Fly Company came to be. We hear some pretty crazy stories from Greg, including one on a near-death, uh, very near-death miss on the mountain while uh, in the backcountry skiing. He got buried, uh, almost buried alive. Uh, we also find out uh, what gets uh, Greg fired up these days and uh, and how and why he took on the JH Flyco project. This is a, it's a good uh, behind-the-scenes kind of uh, to see how the sausage is made. We dig into it today. Hope you enjoy uh, Greg's perspective on fishing and life as much as I did. You can go to JH Flyco right now and get 25% off your first order uh, with uh, Jackson Hole at jhflyco.com slash swing. That'll get you 25% right now. Check it out. Before we get started, go uh, check out what they have. That would be amazing. So without further ado, here he is, Greg Epstein from Jackson Hole Fly Company. How's it going, Greg? Hey, it's going great. It's uh, great to be with you guys today, and I'm excited to talk about fishing and what we do here in Jackson Hall. Nice, nice. Yeah, me too. I'm excited to dig into some fishing too because we haven't sat down and talked, uh, you know, any about fishing. We've talked a lot about some products and things like that, but uh, I want to dig into that. You've got the Jackson Hole Fly Company. You sell flies and rods, and you kind of got the full list of things. We're going to touch on that and talk about how some of the listeners can get some value there, but uh, take us back quickly to how you first got into fly fishing, and then we'll jump into all the other stuff. Oh, sure, sure. Well, I think like, you know, most kids growing up in Wyoming or Northwest Wyoming, um, you know, fishing was just one of those things you did with your, your parents or your dad or whatever. And we used to go on a lot of, uh, camping trips, family camping trips, and we would, um, go fishing. What well, not as much fly fishing at that point in um, time, but, uh, definitely getting on fishing and, and lake fishing and some fishing on like the snake river and stuff like that. And, you know, then I, uh, I kind of left doing fishing for quite a long time. Uh, as I got older and through college, I was interested in other things like ski racing and, um, and, uh, playing soccer and, you know, so fishing wasn't a big priority for me. And in 2001, I believe I moved up to Alaska for, uh, a little bit of time and I started getting back into fishing a little bit there, uh, fishing for salmon and stuff like that. I was living in Girdwood, Alaska, um, which is about 40 miles outside of Anchorage. It's, um, part of right near on the Turnigan arm. And there's a bunch of rivers and little creeks and, uh, you know, just a lot of places where salmon spawn, um, see in, in the summer. So started getting back into, uh, fishing for salmon with some friends and they were kind of showing me how it's done and stuff up there. And that was pretty cool and pretty fun, but I, I it wasn't quite the passion. It was just kind of something you went and did and it was, uh, you know, for food and, you know, smoking, yep. smoking salmon's always great. I mean, it's yeah. one of my favorite foods. So, yep, <laughs> um, and doing it yourself is pretty cool, you know, kind of figuring out the brine mixture and all that's pretty cool. So anyway, and then, um, again, kind of went a little bit away from fishing again for a while. I, I, uh, my ski career, as far as what it was, um, turned into a professional photography career. And so I was wow. 
following around and chasing around professional ski and snowboard athletes all over the world. I was ended up being uh, head of production with a company um, called Teton Gravity Research, who creates ski and snowboard films and I think mount, mountain bike films at this point as well. And they're based here in Jackson Hole. And so, uh, you know, fishing kind of went away again for a little while. And um, but then in 2010, um, I met my now wife and she was pretty new to the valley, had lived in Jackson for about three or four years, but she just jumped into everything when she moved here. And one of the things she jumped into was fly fishing. And at the same time, I also had a handful of buddies, some who were good at fly fishing and some who were kind of just taking it up. And we kind of all just uh, started fly fishing together and with my wife being interested in it and actually passionate about it, it was fun for she and I just to get out and go, uh, and go do it. And, um, so we started doing that together and, and, you know, it was fun. And again, we, I'd go on some trips with buddies, um, and, you know, we'd go and fly fish and do other things as well. Um, and then in 2014, this is kind of when things really turned for me. I got caught in an avalanche skiing, um, got destroyed. Um, oh, wow messed up my body messed up um you know broken pelvis broken leg um a bunch of stuff i was out and so really the only thing i could do was stand in a boat and cast a rod amazing (laughs) amazing (laughs) so yeah no it was it was nuts so for a couple years i was only um that's kind of what i did and so you know my friends would take me out um and we'd just go fish and i could go camping and stuff like that but uh it was really about um standing on a boat and casting the rod and just getting better and better at it and and figuring it out and actually it started to become a passion then it wasn't wasn't just sort of a hobby or a thing that you go do i started just you know getting into it and learning and and wanting to learn more and more about it and um so that's kind of brought me to to here um in 2019 about 2018 um we had heard that this company jackson cardinal um was for sale in jackson um and it, it was a fly manufacturing fly fishing distribution company started by this guy kirk stone in 1978 and um so my wife and I started poking around, trying to figure out, okay, what's going on? Is this a viable business? Things like that. And through our first round of diligence, we realized, well, maybe it's not, it's not quite the business we thought it was. There was a couple of things that didn't, you know, with those original sniff test didn't quite pencil out for us. So we walked away and then in 2019, I reapproached Kirk and just said, Hey, are you still trying to sell that? And I mean, this business is literally around the corner from my house, which is also pretty, pretty great. But yeah. So in 2019, we went through the diligence again and realized, Hey, I think we can make this thing, this Jackson Cardinal business pencil. And I had the idea in my head for Jackson fly company. Um, and that, that was a startup. So, you know, here we are now two and a half years in, and business is going well and it seems like people are enjoying fly fishing so uh, and more and more and more people are getting into it yeah exactly so you touched on a few things there and that's what i love about the podcast is that um you know i mean that idea of fly fishing saving you has actually come up a number of times with guests and you know for you as well right you you almost died it sounds like in this avalanche take us there a little bit to this avalanche accident just for a minute yeah what was that like? I mean, were you literally, I mean, how do you feel? Were you, you were close to death? I mean, what does that feel like? Um, so to kind of just think back on that, um, I don't know. It was interesting. So do you remember it? Yeah. Oh yeah. Do you remember every bit of it? Every bit of it. I was never unconscious and I was never buried. So those are two things, you know, a lot of people when they hear about avalanches, they, you know, immediately think that right. you're buried and, you know, suffocation and that sort of stuff, which you know, for a lot of avalanches is typical, 
But, uh, you know, for me, it was less about being buried. I had an airbag, which is one of those, you know, you pull a little handle and these big flotation sort of airbag things pop out and it oh, wow. kind of keeps you on the surface of the snow. Um, oh, and, cool. and so you don't get buried. Um, unfortunately for me, I got the, 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 where I got caught in the avalanche was, um, in a shoot that had a dog leg in it, but the velocity of the avalanche was so high that I got pitched where the dog leg is off that edge and kind of just went airborne for, I, I don't even know. I, I mean, at that point, I, in my mind, I was like, is this the end? Um, cause I, right. I, I knew where I was in reference to the mountain. But I was like, I don't really remember there being a large cliff, but it ended up that I, it was more like a ski jump that I hit. Um, and so then when I landed, I landed in a bunch of small trees and one of them hit my ski and that's what shattered my leg. And then I think the impact of just being pitched into the air again, I don't even know how high it was like being shot out of a cannon, um, how high I was in the air. But when I landed, I pretty sure that's what broke my pelvis and you know so fortunately i mean this is the fortunate thing about living in a community like jackson hole is we have an amazing search and rescue um we have amazing ski patrol um the coordination between all these different agencies like you have because you know you're in the grand teton national park is was part of this mm -hmm. um, jackson hole mountain resort was part of this teton county search and rescue is all part of this i got helied mm -hmm. out um, wow. and it was, you know, four to five hours of time before, you know, from the accident to me getting, uh, pulled out of, of the mountains was like five hours of time, four hours of time. So I was very hypothermic. I had internal bleed. Wow. So you were sitting there for four hours and just sit right there in the one spot. Yeah. I mean, I had, I was with ski partners. I wasn't by myself. I had three other people who were all very knowledgeable with, first first aid and rescue and things like that so i was in good hands wow. with my with my ski partners but yeah i was sitting out there you know in one spot exactly except when the ski patrol came then they moved me into a sled and got me down to the yep. helicopter and then you know out on the helicopter but yeah i was very hypothermic wow. by the time you know the rescue and internal bleeding of which i didn't really you know i i, I didn't know no. i didn't know anything that was all i knew is that I was not externally bleeding because immediately after right. immediately after the avalanche, I I checked a couple spots on my body where, you know, I just took all the muscle and whatever. I was in so much pain, but I was like, I just got to check to make sure I'm not going to bleed out out here on the hill. So right, so that is crazy that whole story. So you come out of this thing. I, I mean, now are you? It sounded like you were into the extreme sports. Do you still ski and do all this now? Um, I ski a lot still. I don't ski out in the backcountry as much as I used to. And I have a two and a half year old daughter now. So I'm, I want to pay yeah. it forward trying to teach her how to ski now. So I spent a lot more time this winter skiing with her, um, and my wife and, and really it wasn't that good of a winter here, which is something we can talk about later on in the podcast, you know, regarding snowpack and things like that. But, yeah. um, so it was actually a great year to ski with my two and a half year old. And yeah, I'm not as gung ho um, doing that anymore. You know, I've just kind of reprioritized my life a little bit and it was a wake up call. I mean, I've had friends perish in the mountains, um, all through, you know, my adult life, whether it's avalanches or falling, um, you know, it's part of the wow. game of, you know, how much of a part of a game is it when you think, I mean, cause I, you hear these stories, but is it, is it fair? I mean, I guess it's not common, but I mean, you've had friends that have died. Is that just part of the game when you're in the extreme sports? Is it just, it could happen to you? I mean, it could happen to anybody. I mean, avalanches, as much as you may be a snow safety expert and an avalanche expert, it, nothing's a hundred percent. And, you know, you get into a bad situation, you know, over the wrong exposure or, um, just, massive amounts of snow and yeah it, it can go bad real quick right um you know i was when i worked for teton gravity research i was the head of production but i also was one of the people who helped create and write um the the risk management program 
for all the athletes, mm. you know, for when we film. Oh, wow. Um, and we had a, a main, we had a main, uh, guy named Kent Sheeler who, you know, he was the one who kind of was the brainchild behind all the real nitty gritty and specifics. But, you know, I was the person right there with him. You know, we would have these courses every year and, um, you know, refresher courses, advanced first aid and just how we operate in the mountains. And, you know, if there is a, um, situation where, um, you know, somebody gets hurt or something catastrophic happens, we all know how to operate. So, so I was on it and I knew in my mind when I got slid, you know, I knew how to run the rescue, even though I was in a lot of pain, I was, I I was still right there. Um, until later on as, you know, three, four hours in and I'm in a lot of pain and going hypothermic, then, you know, you start to lose your cognitive ability and, you know, a lot of it, I was just like, okay, let's just get out of here. Um, this is brutal, (laughs) brutal right now. This is, uh, you know, this is really interesting. This story is, is definitely crazy. And then, uh, but you also have all these other stuff. I mean, the photography, we could probably spend a whole episode just talking about sure. photography tips. And I, I know on your website, I see a lot of the photos. I was looking through some of the stuff and yeah, they all look like pro photos. That's something we could probably dig into some tips, but, but let, let's jump into, I want to talk more about, um, you know, Jackson Hole Fly Company, because I want to make sure we don't miss some of those items yeah, yeah. just on what you guys do there. Yeah. So let's jump into that. And if we have time at the end, we'll circle back to some of the, uh, the extreme sports sure, that you're totally, into. This is, totally. So, so, um, so tell me, let's just start with Jackson Hole. So describe, I mean, you've obviously told the story about how you got here, but, um, talk about, you know, what you guys do now, like who, who is, what are the products you guys have? What are the, the things that you're selling? And then who is kind of that person that target customer you're looking for? Sure. Sure. So, a little bit to pick up where I had left off. Um, so, you know, we bought that company, Jackson Cardinal, which is a, a fly fishing distributor wholesaler. And I knew that going direct to consumer was in my business model. I knew that I would, that was the mm-hmm. next step for me. So, you know, immediately after we purchased that company, we, um, I created Jackson Fly Company and it took, man, six, eight months from basically saying, here we go, to having the website completed and, you know, all the branding and all the marketing and everything kind of rolling. Um, It took about eight months. And so we opened our doors on for Jackson Hole Fly Company on April 15th, 2019, essentially when all the lockdowns were happening because of COVID. And I remember my wife saying, she, she was like, I hope I didn't underwrite something that's you know, just going to get beat up because of this, you know, pandemic and things like that. And I'm like, well, I guess we'll see. And, you know, fingers crossed, but you know, that's where fly fishing, I feel like in the last two years for a lot of the just average people who have novices have never, they got into it or they, they were, they were curious. And so our customer is really that person who may have a little bit of an idea about fly fishing, maybe have heard about it, maybe have gone out with friends and maybe have tried it, maybe have casted a rod a little bit. And But they're novices. They're people that are curious. They're people that want to get outdoors. They're people that maybe don't want to go do hardcore sports like mountain climbing or trail running or, um, or mountain biking or things like that. But they want to get out. They want to camp. They want to fish. They want to Go hiking and, you know, and and this just creates another avenue of seeing amazing country and doing, you know, pretty cool stuff and and fly fishing for a lot of people, I think helps them disconnect from their day to day life. And just, just, it's a little bit of a Zen sort of activity. Um, and you learn, I mean, there's so much to learn when you're out there fly fishing. There's, it's a puzzle every day. So I think that is, you know, you hit on it as far as that person. And uh, and I heard from somebody yesterday, uh, Damon, who was a, a new listener. And I get these emails pretty much every day that are, you know, they find the podcast. And he said, hey, you know, I'm brand new. And, you know, I found your back catalog. And he was listening to some of the older episodes. And uh, and he just, he's just love right? He's just picking it up and digging in. And, and for him, right, he would love to find something that's like, okay, here's a package I need to get started. And, and that's one of the things you guys do, right? That's what I have, one of your, your rods, which is... Yeah. So one of our focuses is what we call the basics package, which basically 
we have two levels. We have um, a fly rod, a five weight fly rod, um, nine foot. That's um, IM six graphite, uh, so it's pretty durable. Comes with a pretty basic graphite reel, um, but it'll get you out there. And it's all loaded up, spooled, and you know it comes with a couple of other like some leaders and um, nippers and uh, forceps and stuff like that. So it comes with kind of a basic package to get somebody out there who doesn't want to spend a ton of money to go fly fishing. I think that they, it's under $200 for the, the fly rod and the, and everything like that. Um, and it is called the, uh, hold on. I got this right here. Uh, it's called, the Crystal Creek package, mm. and it's yeah, one hundred and eighty-five dollars. Wow! And it's a good rod, and it'll get you out there, and you can have an enjoyable time. Um, and you know, you're not going to spend a ton of money on something that maybe you decide you don't like, um, or something that you only do once or twice a year. Then we also have our other basics package, which is called the Flat Creek, which is just around five hundred and eighty dollars. But that is an IM8 fast action um, rod. Uh, it's our, one of our Yellowstone two rods, which I would, you know, put up against any fairly high end or high end rod in the industry. Um, mm -hmm. I fish them. I love them. I think they're great. Um, our Yellowstone Grizzly aluminum reel, uh, and then it comes with an assortment of flies. You know, your gel, your basic things you need leaders nip, yeah. nippers the whole works and so that's 580 dollars, and that's a rod package that will last you a lifetime um mm -hmm. we have a great lifetime warranty um and we have really fast turnaround for um rod warranties you know a lot of companies right now you know they're two three four months out to get your rod back if you snap a tip or break your rod um, we can get your rod turned around, you know, basically we'll fix it the day or day after we get it and turn it around right away. So, um, you know, a week or two at the most, it's typically the amount of time that the rod will be out of your hands. So that's something we really pride ourselves on. So basically it has the package. So basically you get, if you, if you haven't been fishing or if you, if you have been fishing, you can get a package ready to go. And, and then along with that is flies, right? You guys have a, talk about your fly selection a little bit. How, how does that look? How, what are you guys doing there? So we have, I would say it's around a thousand patterns. Um, you know, but we do have some, um, saltwater patterns mixed in there. That's not our primary focus, but we do. Um, but we have everything you're going to need, you know, for even the, the expert fly, um, fisher person. Um, you know, we, we have everything you need to, 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 as far as fly patterns, fly sizes. Um, one thing we're really focusing right now is actually improving our foam selection a little bit more. Um, you know, a lot of people have moved to fishing with foam flies so chernobyl chubbies or micro chubbies things like that um and so we're focusing on that a little more um we're also focusing on a little bit uh, more tungsten jigs uh that's tungsten jigs have, be have become fairly popular sort of the, the euro nymphing has become fairly popular so we're um you know trying to round out our fly selection with with tungsten but we're also improving or adding on to other fly patterns that maybe we have but could be improved upon or maybe we don't have and uh but they're patterns that um customers are asking for or people that work in my shop are recommending say hey we should maybe get these tied or these tied and then i'm also cutting out some old patterns um that just don't really sell anymore or you know maybe sell you know 10 of them a year 10 of them. That's what I was going to ask you. What, what are the, if you had to look and I'm not sure if you even know this, but you know, what are those, if you had top 10 top selling patterns, do you kind of have an idea what those are? I mean, it's things that you probably already know too, but you know, your, your parachute atoms, your, uh, caddis flies, um, stimulator, stimulators, woolly buggers. Um, a lot of those yeah. all move 
pretty well. You know, the other thing, we have a pretty good selection of flies for uh, spay fishing or for um, people that want to go catch um, salmon or uh, Uh or steelhead. steelhead. Exactly. So, you know, we, we do get a lot of people buying like spring wigglers and you know little things like that we get we have kind of a a a michigan contingency of of people that shop with us um as well and and we do carry supplies like that as as well for yeah um, and you do have some standard standard i picked up some just some standard steelhead like uh, traditional wet flies right so you guys do a little bit so sounds like you do a little bit of everything right you got a little selection of flies so if somebody wanted to come in and if they have questions for you like say somebody isn't seeing a pattern or something like that what what do you what's where should we direct them um if they're not seeing a pattern i mean a i would say email us at support at jacksonoflycompany.com and maybe we do have the pattern um maybe it's back ordered or maybe it's something we want to get tied um like i said a thousand patterns sometimes it gets a little unwieldy to keep track of i know and the other thing is is the previous owner he still has (laughs) he has a lot of flies like sitting in his garage or you know in inventory so i can always go and say hey do you still have these i mean it so there's always opportunity out there but so it's funny like that gotcha talk about that uh gray i'm not sure how well you know kirk but you mentioned you bought this shop from kirk what's um it sounds like he's still around and and what's the do you you know much about him and, and the past business um, yeah, I do actually, you know, Kirk's a, he's a great guy. He's been around Teton County, um, the Jacksonville area, I think since like his family moved here, I think in 1965, maybe a little earlier than that. Um, they, his family bought a ranch North of Jackson called the heart six ranch. And they ran that, I think up into the, maybe the nineties even. Um, and then his family sold it and Kirk has done, I think a handful of things in, Teton County as well. He's been a manager of a bar. He's done other things. But in 1978, he saw an opportunity to sell flies in this region and especially to the national parks. So he was on a weekly basis driving up the Yellowstone and hitting all the little shops and gas stations in Yellowstone and Grand Teton National Park and selling them flies. And, um, Eventually, the business grew, um, and then he started. It became more regional, and then he started. Then he, you know, hired a bunch, a handful of sales reps, and they started helping him out. And, um, but, yeah, he's uh, he he definitely grew this thing from the ground up, um, which is pretty cool. It's, it's a cool story, and uh, you know, it's a forty-year-old, forty-two-year-old business or forty-four-year-old business at this point. So, it's been around. That is cool. It reminds me of the, we had episode, episode 303, where we talked about the Umqua feather merchant story. And it was interesting because Russ talked about the history, probably in a similar time. I think it was maybe the eighties when those two guys were going around. Uh, in fact, I think, you know, they, they went around the whole country, but they like, okay, we're going to sell these flies and we're going to travel and we're going to, you know, we're going to get our, in our VW van and travel around. And actually I think it was the late sixties when they did that, but a similar deal, right? People need flies, especially in the summertime when, when shops are running out. That's a good time yep. to deliver your flies. Absolutely. And, you know, now with the internet and, you know, the technology that is out there, it's a lot easier to sort of do what Kirk created from the ground up. So, um, and I, you know, again, who knew? And nobody really knew that in Jackson Hole, five minutes from my house was a fly fishing distribution company that had been around for 40 years, which is pretty crazy. That is pretty crazy. What is, you know, you're doing all this, you got the rods and you got the gear and flies about all the stuff you do. And you got a a very, you know, various, a background, a cool background as well. What do you love most about just the whole fly shop and what you're doing now? For me, it's my employees. I mean, they're into it. They love fishing, love it. And (laughs) like these guys are going out after work, before work, skipping work. (laughs) Um, and they talk about it. They're, you know, they learn from one another. Um, and they, they're going on little trips. It's great. I mean, it's just awesome to just 
see how passionate they are about it. And then, you know, to, you know, watch them have conversations with, you know, we do every so often have people come in and they'll, they'll just jump on them and talk to them about fishing and things like that and get them all set up. But it's really just their passion yeah, um, that I, I love. And, you know, we have three dogs in the shop as well all the time, which is great. So oh, nice. I feel really lucky. What kind of dogs are they? We got one black lab and two corgis. One of them's brown or kind of reddish and white. One's black and and they all get along, you know, the corgis are smaller than the black lab. So they try to, you know, impose their small presence on the black lab. <laughs> it's pretty funny. Yeah, that's great. that's great. Who are the, uh, so just give us a perspective on, on some of your employees that do you have just a few people in there or what is your, what does your staff look like? Yeah, we have, um, I have pretty much three full-time employees. Um, Brian Berger is my, he's been around, he came with the with the business when I bought it. Oh, wow. Uh, he's mm-hmm. been involved now for, I think about 15 years, incredibly knowledgeable. Like he's my go-to mm-hmm. guy on all the materials that we need to, to, to tie flies. And that's something we can talk about a little bit too, but, um, he's super knowledgeable on like a, amounts, uh, material types, sourcing materials. And then he just understands the business through and through. So it's my main guy. Um, and then I've, go. I've got a, a woman named, um, Allie Harris, who awesome. She's been here for like four or five years now. She came with the business as well. Super passionate about fishing. Um, just puts her head down, works hard. She's lived in the Valley for years and years and years and has done all sorts of different jobs, but you know, really loves this. And she's kind of the, the mom, the mom of the shop yeah. helps take care of, right. helps take care of all of us a little bit. And then <laughs> we got a younger guy named Misha, not a total millennial, but he's got, he's got some characteristics. <laughs> sure. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> but he's super passionate about it. Um, very, uh, good energy. Um, and he kind of has been helping me a lot with multimedia stuff as well. Not only, you know, helping with the day-to-day running of the business, as far as filling orders and receiving all sorts of flies and looking at, you know, that sort of stuff. But he's also helping with multimedia, social media, stuff like that. So that's been super helpful, um, but great energy. And then, you know, we do have some other people. I have some part-time people. I've uh, got a young guy named Jack Henderson, who uh, he's a college kid now, but he works for us in the summers, incredibly passionate about fishing and very good. Yep. Um, you know, you go on that kid's Instagram page and you're just like, man, and you're only 20 or seven or 19 <laughs> or whatever. He's just getting out there and doing it. And so that's pretty awesome. And yeah. And then other than that, we've had some people, you know, kind of revolving door here and there. Um, but uh, for, I've been really lucky, honestly, um, in the labor environment here in Jackson hole, I've been really lucky to with my employees and I so I feel super fortunate. Yeah, exactly. But uh it's fun. That's great. Well talk about that a little bit on you mentioned the materials. Just to dig in a little bit on the flies. How does all of that work? Are you guys uh producing, you know, are you tying your own flies? Are you t- getting them out? And then how does that affect how does material selection come into this? Okay. So we get our flies tied in Kenya, Africa, which there is a whole history of the English having the Kenyans tie their flies from, you know, All right. a couple centuries ago. Yep. And so we've continued that tradition in a, in a sense and getting our flies tied there. Um, and we source all of our materials out of the United States, all of our, you know, our hooks, all of our hackle, all of our, you know, you name it, marabou. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, any sort of, material you can think of uh bucktails elk skin deer skin and then we yep. ship all of our um fly making materials to kenya to oh, wow. whatever you know we ha- i have about somewhere between eight and ten or eleven fly tying little manufacturers um contracted in out of kenya and so then we just give them fly pattern orders and there is some the, the fly tires 
are good at specific things or we're, we're, we're training them to be good at specific patterns. Like I've got one tire who he ties all our foam because he's, he's getting good at it. His tires are getting good at it or they've been good at it. And so, um, just for consistency for uh, quality control and things like that. And, or we have some other guys that are, you know, tie a lot of our bead head nymphs, or we have a lot of guys that tie, you know, a lot of our streamers. So, um, but, and that logistically can be, can be tricky. It's tricky. Yeah. Because you've got all this, you've got all these materials coming from the U S that now you got to get them over there. So that's one thing, which, and especially with all the uh, changes in, well, I mean, COVID, I'm not sure if that mixed it up, but then, then you got to get them back. Right. So yeah. have you had some hitches in that oh, yeah. uh, logistical thing? Logistically it's tricky. So there's, um, a couple things going on. I mean, a, everything has to come through customs and if, oh, yeah. so that gets hard. At times, right. you know, shipments get lost, but and like wild animals, right? You can't. They think you're shipping a, an endangered species or something, right? Well, that's what I was going to get to. So there's a um, permitting process for specific endangered species. Um, primarily for us, it's peacock, and that that um, uh, permitting is called a CITE permit. And so if the shipment does not have a society permit in it and we're shipping peacock, I mean, it can easily be confiscated. Mm. Um, so, you know, that's something that I have to be very, you know, strict with my tires and say, you guys need to make sure that these permits are included and the exact number of pieces of peacock. I mean, it gets down to like the number oh, or, right. you know, you can lose an entire shipment. So I, I've actually, wow narrow down the number of tires that deal with peacock to just a handful just because it's such a yeah i know we've i've experienced it where we've lost entire fly shipments and that no it, 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 it it stings oh um for the tire for me um you know for our dealers and you know people that we're selling flies to uh because we're not you know our our Direct-to-consumer is actually a very small part of our actual business. You know, we're selling, I think we sold 90,000 dozen flies in 2022. Oh, wow. So you're not, so this is going out to, you're selling these out to other businesses. Yeah. So we're, our, our primary business is wholesaling to other dealers and other distributors throughout North America. Oh, wow. Yeah. Wow. That's amazing. So you can only imagine what 90,000 dozen flies looks like. <laughs> I can't even add that. Yeah. What is 90,000 dozen? That's crazy. Yeah. Okay. So you guys, so you have this huge thing going here and that's right there. I mean, yeah, just numbers wise. So you got this massive amounts of material and are you pretty much shipping and do you do like once a month, you send out a bunch of materials back over overseas and then you get flies in once a month or how's that look? Yeah, it's not necessarily once a month, but it's definitely, you know, maybe quarterly or. Oh, okay coming over on a boat or on a plane everything's by plane yeah it's all plane so you get it within so you can get it within a few days well in theory or in theory yeah <laughs> in theory but you know things get held up you know again things have to go through fish and wildlife as they're imported back into the united states so it all takes time yeah. but we've yeah. got a pretty good system down at this point and you know i have again a handful of really great fly tires in kenya that understand the business and you know and i'm trying to help support them too and they've got tires who have families and you know so it's goes a long way to kind of help them out with this little industry so yeah definitely what's your uh you know if you think if you uh, you probably struggle like me to get out fishing sometimes but if you <laughs> were to go fishing do you have a home uh like a river or a stream or something you like to hit up yeah i mean i so where i am located in Teton County, um, we're about 45 minutes or so, 50 minutes from the Green River down actually south of, uh, south of us in Sublette County. We're in Teton County and Sublette County is the next county south. Um, so I like to go there. It's a little quieter. Um, it's not quite as nutty as um, being in Jackson Hole in the summer. Yeah. But I also live right I have, you know, there's a couple little creeks in my backyard and I also live pretty close to the Snake River. So, you know, now, you know, we have a drift boat, so we'll go 
pop it in the water and do like an afternoon summer float or i'll go you know wade fish somewhere um the opportunities are really quite endless in this yeah you know area of the country and area of the world but yeah my favorite if i have the time and it's typically going down for like a weekend of camping and fishing is to go down to the to the green river to the green the green yeah. and what's your uh what's your drift boat what do you what do you have there we have a high 16 foot low pro xl yeah a low pro yeah yeah, yeah so this is definitely it's a good boat for um it's a great boat for fishing out of but it's also a great boat for camping you know so you can get all your gear in there and it's still seaworthy enough it's not one of the you know like southwest skiffs that has a really flat right. nose it's Super still yeah. it's still got a pointy nose so you know if you want to go say on the south fork or you know the, some of the bigger rivers and and you're weighted down with camping yep. gear or whatever it's still a good boat to row and it you know tracks down the river pretty easily and it's easy to uh pretty easy to maneuver so it's a great boat yeah, Hyde's Hyde's obviously been around for a long time, and they've yeah. There's a bunch of good boats out there now. That's a cool thing. We did a little series on drift boats a while back and uh, dug into some of the history. So I'm always interested there. And so the Green River is good. So give me your on the green if you're going out there. And I'm not even sure this time of year if it's even what it's like. But you know, your top so two flies. You got to fish for the green. What what are you taking out of your fly selection there? Uh, top flies. God, I think it would probably have <laughs> to be like a a black like peanut envy um streamer oh yeah yeah um and or probably some sort of some sort of nymph like uh-huh oh, duracell those are pretty good these days yep so a little a little stream so you so that gives us a little insight into you so you you do some streamers and and some nymphy so you kind of mix it up um i mean i prefer to streamer fish watching a bobber for me isn't as exciting I'll do it. Yeah. When you, if that's the way you're going to catch fish is watching a bobber. Um, I'll do it all day long, but I prefer to throw streamers and I love throwing dry flies too. It's just, you know, uh -huh. I feel like dry fly season is pretty specific. Whereas I think st streamer fishing and, and nymphing, you can pretty much do year round, you know? Yeah, that's right. Especially that's right. in this area, you know, it gets cold, you know, the winter times are pretty harsh, but you can still go fish in the winter if you're hardy enough and, 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 and there's certain days where it warms up in the middle of the day and, uh, you know, you can get out and be pretty successful. Yeah. This is the time is how are things look? Well, you mentioned the snowpack, uh, a while back. Is it, uh, it's, yeah. I mean, I guess that's what, that's not looking good or what's that looking like? Well, interestingly enough, most of the winter was pretty light on snow. We were hovering, I think around the um, beginning of April, we were hovering hovering right around 300 inches of total snowpack for the year, which is relatively low for this area of the country. And, you know, especially in the last decade, we've, you know, had a lot of high 400, mid 500 and higher um, inch snowpack years, which has been great. It's recharged our reservoirs and the lakes and you know, it's been incredible, but this year it's been, it's been quite low, but in the last couple of weeks, we've all of a sudden had a couple of really big snowstorms and I'm sure you guys have been getting hit mm. maybe in the Northwest as well. Yep. Um, but getting hammered, which is good because, um, outside of worries about water for fishing and water for drinking is, you know, wildfires at this all point, right. at this point in our in our history in in you know all these places that are fairly forested so um that's important but yeah also you know the health of the fisheries our two biggest reservoirs right now are you know below 10 percent full at this point so i mean we need a lot of snowpack yeah over the next couple of years to kind of help recharge those because you know there's water rights down the snake river and once those oh, are yeah. called somewhere in idaho or further down the you know down the river in in um oregon um it can it can be uh problematic for us so yeah yeah it is it's a uh, yeah we had a guest i guess we were talking colorado uh in the last couple of weeks and uh, yeah i mean there's the best example right a river 
that essentially doesn't make it to the ocean, you know, right? Or, or make it. Uh, that's a that's the extreme example, but um, but yeah, it's. A, I think everybody's really worried about that, right? Because nobody really knows exactly. You know, is there going to be more wildfires? Is the drought thing going to continue, or is this just a small little glimpse in the you know this this long history of obviously the the planet changing? It's, Com- it's completely it's tough to get a feel for. Yeah, it is. No, it's really tough to get a feel for it. And I don't know if being dogmatic about it helps. You know, I, yeah. you know, I look at it as we need the water and we need the snowpack. And obviously in this area of the country, people love to ski too. It's part of the economy in this area. And But having that water in the summer is part of the economy too. You know, people come here for float trips. They come here to fish. They come here just to enjoy the views are swimming in the water. Um, and then, you know, obviously we need it to, to live. So, um, it's, a uh, it's important. important. And we're, we're the headwater, <laughs> we're the headwater for a lot of places. Oh, I mean, we're, we're the top right. of the, you know, the continental divide goes right through this area of the country and, you know, the Tetons and the wind river range. I mean, those are the headwaters for a lot of, yep. um, a lot of places in, in the Western part of the United States. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, the Tetons are amazing. Well, let, let's start to take it out of here here in a bit. Yeah. Um, and you mentioned photos, so I, I don't want to miss a, a couple of good photo tips. So uh, what would be if somebody's out there tomorrow, they're heading out in the river and they've got either their cell phone or maybe an SOR, what are a couple of photo tips you'd give somebody to make sure they can get a good, you know, whether that's a fish picture or just a scenic picture? Um, don't be afraid to turn the camera horizontal or vertical you know typically you know mm. it's horizontal but or or turn it vertical but with your iphone a lot of people you know they're taking pictures solely vertical sometimes you might want to turn it horizontal to get a, a mm-hmm. better photo with your phone i really like using the portrait mode to shoot people holding fish because it kind of blurs the background oh, out right. and helps that fish pop out or you know the, or the person um those are two things i think when you're using um your iPhone that are really helpful. It's also nice to have a decent background, but you don't, that's not totally necessary. Um, yeah, with exactly. an SLR, A, have it accessible because oh, right. you know, the last thing you want is to have some fish, you know, that's struggling while you're trying to get your DSLR or SLR together and all that sort of stuff. So have it super accessible. Um, and then again, don't be afraid to turn that camera horizontal or vertical. Um, I, again, you know, probably need to, un- you need to understand a little bit more about your, uh, depth of field, but mm-hmm. where would somebody go? I mean, there seems like there's so many resources out there with, you know, and you probably oh, learned a long time ago, so you don't know, but yeah, you just go to YouTube and start to find somebody uh, yeah. that looks good. YouTubing or y- y- using YouTube is such a great resource to learn so much about, yep. you know, uh, photography, and one other th- learning how to tie knots. It's a great place to learn how to tie knots. <laughs> yeah, tie knots exactly. Well, I've got a uh, we've got a photographer coming on a couple. I'm going to hit into that in an upcoming episode to help people yeah dig in because yeah it's a, it's a struggle for me. I know. I mean, I got the phone and I can take a picture. I actually just got a new iPhone, so it's got like yeah. three cameras on the back. Oh and yeah. Supposedly, you know, it does everything for you. But still, I've also got an SLR that's just been collecting dust for for too long. You know, and I think. Yeah. That's something I need to break out and really probably just take a little course. I think I'm, I like the courses, maybe something that can just get me dialed in, you know what I mean? Get started on it, back, well, get that, back into it. Totally. Well, and the nice thing about the SLR is, you, you know, the pictures that with, with the different lenses and stuff. I mean, you can, the, the variety of you know, photographs that you can get just from one vantage point is so variable and you can get so much cool stuff. And, you know, so it's not maybe just about shooting people holding fish, but it's, you know, being able to shoot the experience and really document the experience, you know, whether you're on a a river trip or you're just on a day of fishing with your your friends or something like that. But the the number one thing is is if, if the camera is not accessible or you don't want to carry it around, then it's not a good camera to have. Yeah. Yeah, so that's where the good. iPhones and the, and the, and the, uh, you know, the, the smartphones at this point, I mean, they're amazing. I know. Yeah, it's right there. They are amazing. Nice. Well, I think, um, 
I had a couple of random ones I want to throw out there. And anything else before we leave off the shop? I mean, obviously, if people want to connect with you, you know, Jackson Hole Flight Company, I'll have links in, you know, in the show notes yeah. for this one as well. But yeah, anything else you want to give a shout out there? I would just say check in with us often. We're always running different sales, you know, whether, you know, right now mm-hmm. we're doing a, a, a spring sale, 20% off spring sale. But, you know, we're always running little sales here and there or, you know, little, little things. So check in and we're always adding um, new fly patterns, um, different products, and, you know, different merchandise, hats, T-shirts, things like that. So, yeah, check in with us often. Okay, perfect. Well, we'll, we'll do that. So, and I, I wanted to circle back around. We talked a little about conservation and I think, um, you know, we can hold off any of those, you know, additional conservation uh, questions as we go, because that's something I'm always focusing on trying to, trying to support. And you do, I was reading a little bit of somewhere on your background, you have a good, you know, definitely you've, you have a good focus, right? Conservation is a big part of what you do. Is that, uh, just give us a little <laughs> minute there on that. Is that, is that pretty important to you? Well, one thing I haven't mentioned is I'm actually an elected official here in Teton County too. I'm a county commissioner. So, Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> One part of, Amazing. yeah. So I, I got to wear a lot of hats. It's yeah. A, it's, That's not an easy job, right? Because they mean, I don't know, even sure how all that works, but the buck kind of stops with you a little bit as far as what gets done out there in, in the county. Yeah. I mean, we're, we're, yeah, the representatives for local government in, in the county and, you know, a big part of, the sort of ethos behind Teton County is definitely conservation. You know, again, as I mentioned, we're the headwaters for so many other parts of the West. Um, we have wildlife all over the place. 97% of Teton County is public land, whether it's national forest or national parks. So y- there's a lot of responsibility, but it's about, it's a balancing act of, you know, community and conservation, and it's become trickier and trickier. But, you know, I, I think pretty much everybody or most people that live in Teton County, you know, conservation is definitely one of those things. But, you know, a lot of my friends that hunt and fish, you know, they may, again, not be super dogmatic about the rhetoric that's out there, you know, with the mainstream media, but they're some of the best conservationists I know which is awesome. You know, they're the ones that are, you know, leaving no trace when they go hunt. They're the ones who are teaching, you know, the young people, like, how do you treat your wilderness? How do you treat the wildlife? You know, how to, the importance of managing the resource, the importance of managing wildlife populations or fish populations, things like that. And I think that that's a part of this whole story that never gets talked about that much. You know, then talking about cleanliness of water and, 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 you know, cleanliness, you're keeping the landscape from being destroyed and things like that. I mean, so. Right. And part of that might be, especially with you in the area, right? These national parks, I mean, you got millions of visitors or whatever, right? How do you keep that pristine? Isn't that, that must be a little bit of a challenge. It's a challenge, but you know, that's the federal government does a pretty good job with the national parks, I think. I mean, they're probably underfunded, but they've been underfunded for years. But they do a pretty good job. Um, You know, I think it's pretty special that, you know, a lot of these people from all over the country get to come to Yellowstone or Grand Teton National Park um, and have a pretty amazing outdoor experience. A little bit may feel like a zoo in a sense, and I don't mean this in a negative way, but, you know, you see animals on the side of the road and things like that. And, but at the same time, I mean, those are real wild animals. I mean, you're not, you've seen the YouTube videos when people approach a buffalo. Yeah. (laughs) I think that's why it's, that's why it's cool. And we had a buffalo experience and we've had multiple when we were there, when we went through the park and. Yeah, there was some good and bad. You know, sometimes it felt crazy because you had to start two hours before just to get in the park, right? If you didn't hit it right, you'd be stuck in a line. But, I mean, it's that wild, right? It's like seeing a buffalo. And for some of these people, I mean, that might change. That might be the difference between them long-term appreciating the nature and conservation and, and not, right? I mean, uh, so totally. that's why I think the national parks are so important. Even though, you know, I think it's good that 90% of the people stay within, you know, within 100 feet of their car because they're still getting that taste of it. And then eventually they might get out and become like you, right? This backcountry person where now they're traveling and they're taking it to the extreme. Absolutely. I think it's incredibly important that people at least have that experience 
and understand that places like this exist. Yep. Um, exactly. And so I feel fortunate that, you know, I got to grow up here and that I'm able to still live here and I'm running a business here and I'm hopefully representing Jackson hole in a, in a positive way. And, but, you know, ultimately I, I want people to enjoy the outdoors and fly fishing is a great way to get out and do it. Yeah. Yeah. I love that you started off at the start with that, you know, talking about, you know, that is a good thing. So some people don't want to get into skiing or whatever sport, but fly fishing, even though it seems kind of hard, I guess that's the struggle is that we've got to show everybody, especially the new people that, man, it's actually not that hard just to get started. Right. You kind of get your rod and, you know, as long as you can get some help with casting, you know, I mean, that's the, probably the biggest hurdle to getting going. Right. Yeah. Casting and tying a couple basic knots. Yep. And after that, after that, it really is enjoyable and it's, it's a puzzle. And I think for a lot of people, it's not just, it's about using your brain a little bit too. And just, you know, cracking that code every day you go out. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. Okay, uh, Greg, before we get out of here, give us your, uh, you mentioned smoked salmon. And of course, it's one of my favorite foods as well. Uh, but you could have smoked trout. Is there, it sounded like you did a little bit of that. Do you have a a tip on that? No, it, it was so long. It was so long You're ago that. that I was doing that. I mean, I would love to still do it. I just haven't, but I I, yeah. I love it. I, eat, I mean, I eat it. I try to find, you know, good smoked salmon and stuff like that. But um, you know, I, the only thing I say is always buy Alaska wild caught. That's my main, that's my main oh, really? thing. Yeah. 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 And, and why, and that's just because why, why is that for somebody who doesn't know why not do a hatchery salmon? I think it's healthier. Um, you know, farms, farm salmon, the more you dig into it is it's a little bit gnarly. So I'm, I'm yeah. about, I'm about the wild caught and I want to support, yeah. you know, those fisheries and, and, and fisher men and women up in, you know, Alaska that are out there doing it. Yeah, exactly. We, we did an episode on, uh, on, um, kind of, uh, part of the, well, we did a couple, but we, we did one on Norway and then we had another couple where we talked, we were talking about Atlantic salmon, right. And that whole farmed thing that's going on. And I mean, that's still, you don't realize it, but that's still a major thing that's impacting. And, and I don't yeah. know the whole history. Right. But that's something that I think on the lines that you're talking about, right. Versus farm versus wild fish. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you have that too. So, okay. Well, great. There's always tons of topics, you know, we can dig exactly. into. We'll, we'll, <laughs> well, I think, I, I feel like we did a good job kind of digging into a little bit of what you do and obviously getting to know you a little bit. This has been awesome. Um, just give a, a heads up here in the next year or whatever. Uh, what, what, what do you expect now with what you have going? Are you going to keep doubling down on the flies or anything you want to give a shout out you have coming up? I mean, we just want to keep growing. Um, you know, we're trying to bring and include more people into the sport. I mean, that's important to me, I, I, you know, getting women, more women into mm-hmm. fly fishing, I think is a, a push for us. Um, and however we can do that. And, and I, I, I don't know. I think a lot of companies out there are trying to solve that same problem right now, of sort of diversifying their interest group yep. and things like that. And, you know, we're just going to keep plugging along and, and, and pushing how fun it is and and that it's a great way to spend time with friends and family and or by yourself so right on right on all right greg well hopefully i'll be hooking up with you sometime in the next year i'd love to stop in and and say hi for sure and uh but until then uh thanks for taking the time we'll send everybody out to jhflyco.com if they have questions or want to pick up some flies or gear and uh, yeah thanks for all the time today thank you and yeah we'll jump in the boat and go for a go for a float and hopefully good yeah, I haven't been in a hide. That's right. That's one boat that I've been in plenty. Of, I've been in some clacking crafts, but I haven't been in a hide yet. And so that would be one boat. I'll, I'll have to hit you up on that. Perfect. All right. Thanks, Greg. Have a good one, Dave. And uh, thank you. So there it is. Wetflyswing.com slash 331. 331 will get you the links, the show notes, and uh, and some good stuff. If you want to get a discount right now from Jackson Hole, you can do that right now. jhflyco.com slash swing that'll get you 25 percent off your first order at jackson hole you support this podcast by clicking through that link to jackson not much else to talk about today except for the fly uh, the top fly challenge you can head over to wetflyswing.com slash top fly and quickly enter quickly enter um, that through that link and choose your top fly and actually you can choose what you think is the top fly out of the, some of the guests we've had on the show as well 
that'll get you entered in to win some of those fly uh, fly boxes we have going. Power packed and ready to roll. I'm going to get out of here. Uh, that is all I have for you today. And we are going to be moving on into the next one. So stay tuned. We've got some good stuff ahead. Hope you have a good morning, noon, or evening. See you online or see you on the water. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com. Thank you.